Welcome to Still Growing in Grace, a program dedicated to inspiring joy, giving hope, and delighting in grace. I'm Mike Zenker, and I'll be sharing with you a message of hope that will expand your understanding of God's love and amazing grace. God already deeply loves you, totally accepts you, and really, really likes you. Growing in Grace Ministries Canada and Hope Fellowship, your community church, invite you to enjoy today's program as we dig deeper into what it means to be still growing in grace. Alrighty, good morning everyone. Welcome to Still Growing Grace on this wonderful Wednesday morning, first one of 2023. And so far I've not written down the date incorrectly this year. <laughs> so funny. Um, anyway, I just want to make sure uh, we're, we're going to have a great day. I, I, I think you're going to love this conversation today. I have two more episodes I'm going to share with you from the Forgiveness Conference we did at the beginning of 2022. Um, today's conversation with uh, Bill Thrasher and Richard Murray are uh, uh, kind of visiting or, uh, as the title says, unpacking uh, some of the distortions that people have about the topic of forgiveness. Uh, misconceptions are probably the greatest hindrances to why people do not forgive. I really believe that. And then next week I'll do a full summary um, of of uh, the pathway or the journey uh, towards forgiveness uh, that kind of summarizes some of the stuff that was not in the uh, uh, conference itself as far as the contributors. So I think it's going to be really good. So this is going to be a longer one today, but it's really, really good. I think you're going to enjoy it. So let's not waste time. Dive right in. It's 47 minutes, 48 minutes long. So this is going to go to 10 to 9. Uh, hope you enjoy it. This is I'm listening with you. I have not listened to it since it was aired. So I'm excited to hear this again. It's just Sometimes you got to rehear things. So here we go. Enjoy. All right. Forgiveness. What have you heard in your neck of the woods? Uh, um, tell us where you live first, what city and area. I'm in Ontario, Canada. Um, Bill, where are you at? Well, I am in uh, Woodstock, Georgia. It's just north of Atlanta, probably about 25, 30 minutes north of Atlanta. All right. And Richard? And I'm probably an hour north of Bill, right on the Georgia side of the Georgia-Tennessee line. I'm 20 miles south of Chattanooga, but in Georgia. Oh, okay. All right. So uh, we come from different places and who knows where else we've lived and uh, forgiveness based on our religious background or non-religious background means something totally different. I'd be interested in hearing the, the first brush stroke of how you, how you saw forgiveness at first. And then maybe we can talk about what you see now and maybe even dive into some tough, tough misconceptions. <laughs> Go ahead, Bill. Oh, you know, I don't know. He's going to make you go first. <laughs> okay. okay. No, that's... All right. All right. All right. Well, you know, um, I suppose that uh, I've, I've always felt like most humans in, in and out of it move in. They know that they need forgiveness or they feel that they need forgiveness. It's, it's a legitimate feeling. It's, it's a composite corporate type of thing. Mm. that we know something is wrong with the world. I think we assume something is wrong with us. Something is wrong with the world, all right? Let's be honest. And so if it's wrong with us, let's even be more honest. Um, but that um, it is, you know, uh, what is it? Uh, Christian existentialism, you know, Kierkegaard 
they would call it something along the lines of existential angst to where we're we're troubled we know something's not right so it's like the matrix hey, this is a good time to talk about the matrix because the matrix the new matrix movie comes out next week and i've got some thoughts on that movie i tell you on on the new one just what i've heard about it i don't know if it's going to go the way i think it is but it could be incredible if if, if what i suspect may happen happens and by me reading uh, a couple of cheat uh spoiler <laughs> sites <laughs> not by me deducing it but anyway um, I digress. Uh, forgive me. <laughs> Let's practice. Okay. <laughs> hey, I but, love uh, that series. I can hardly wait, and we'll have a, we'll have to do a conversation about that movie once it comes out. And and, and I and I think I, I like to uh, to me forgiveness has to do with release. You know, there's something in us that needs to be released, whether it's fear, whether it's insecurity, whether it's angst, whatever you want to call it. You know, Neo in that movie said there there was a there's something wrong with the world. Uh, there's there's something uh, something gnawing at us that about reality that's that's not right, and um, and it really is a question of perception. You know that's that one of the themes of that movie is what uh, uh, William Blake said about if the if the doors of our perception were cleansed, we would see reality as it is. So I think forgiveness has to do with cleansing the lens of us and not being self-conscious and self-aware I, I find in my own life when i'm cr cr it cripples me when i become overly self-conscious and um and and the reason you know that people do become self-conscious is because they're insecure you know that, that there's always a bundle of words that go together uh forgiveness you know insecurity um you know fear dread wh whatever you want to call it timidity um and just, um, uh, you know, maybe a little uh, uh, overcompensation, whatever you want to call it. It's like we're trying to fit in, but we know we don't quite fit in. We're looking for, uh, you know, this is sort of an R-rated example, but, uh, you know, the, the term pro prophylactic, you know, we're, we're talking about, obviously, you know, sexual interaction and, and a prophylactic, at least from a guy's viewpoint, would be, you know, something that would that would be in between us and, and the person we're with and it would keep life from going from us into the other person and uh i sometimes feel like <laughs> what an image this is but i sometimes feel like we're, we're we're wearing prophylactics and we can't really touch each other in the spiritual sense hmm. we can't connect there's something some something that's we're, we're keeping back holding back uh whether we're ashamed of it whether we're not confident in it uh, I heard a fellow on Facebook the other day, uh, David, what is David's last name? Um, with the, uh, with a beautiful family as wife went through rehab, um, last year, uh, Myers? David Myers. Yes. David Myers. Oh. Uh, he, he described something so wonderful the other day about seeing his teenage daughter. He's picking her up and she, she just was so buoyant coming out into the car not, and just, just totally un, unself-aware. And he, and he just said it, it put him in tears to see the beauty that she was operating in. And it was like, uh, you know, and I even commented on, on, on the side that, you know, what an incredible lightness of being, you know, she was displaying. And it was like he was seeing, seeing her through the divine eyes, you know, where she wasn't struggling with any kind of inner security issues. And she was just, she was out being herself. She didn't even and, read a book on forgiveness yet. What? She hasn't even read a book on forgiveness. I know, yet. I know, I know. We—that's why I wonder. 
it's something you know some su subjects the more you the more you can talk about it the more you find yourself away from it so uh but again which gets back to my original point is just just not being self-aware this crippling self-awareness that keeps us from being brothers and sisters and and um uh, you know, uh, was it Lewis that uh, C.S. Lewis, this quote is kind of attributed to him, although I've read the where somebody said it wasn't. It doesn't quite say it, but it's it's an improvement, actually, on what Lewis said. And it said humility is not thinking uh, is not thinking less of ourselves. It's thinking of ourselves less. less. Mm -hmm. And that's uh, that's an incredible statement. And it, because I know that when I'm at my best personally, and I, and I only say that in terms of looking back around and, hey, what just happened? That was great. It's always going to be at times when I was not self-conscious. So I bet over all the years, I would continually ask myself, what is it that's holding me back? I still ask that today because sometimes I'm in lockdown, you know, and, and, um, and I feel like there's something, there's still some sense of doubt or inner uncertainty or inner uh, shame maybe. Uh, and I'm, I'm struck at, in John, you know, we were talking about how of all the things that Jesus could have said to them after he blew the Holy Spirit on them, of all the things he could have said to them about to go and do, he says in John, he says, I've, I've received the Holy Spirit. And basically, from this point on, whoever sins, you're, you forgive or forgiven. And uh, whoever sins, you, you, uh, you don't forgive or retain. Now, that's an interesting term, retain by who? Well, I, I, I think mm. we're ministers of forgiveness, and we're to let people know that there's a God that doesn't have any problems with him, doesn't have any issues with him. We have issues with ourselves, and I think that uh, we do need forgiveness, but we're already forgiven, but we need to know that. And, you know, part of what uh, a major part of our calling seems to be to, uh, to impart forgiveness to others. It's not that I'm forgiven them. Okay. I mean, God is the source. He's the fount of all forgiveness. It's just declaring the Jubilee day. You know, Jesus is, uh, you know, mission statement was basically the Jubilee day. Uh, that's what in Luke four, I mean, he's essentially quoting Jubilee sins forgiven, set free, you know, set the prisoners free. Um, Can't and, be that simple. <laughs> well, it's, well, it's a, you know, it's a little bit like uh, the wizard of Oz, you know, when, they already had it. They just didn't know they had it. They already had these giftings of God and they were beloved. And all the, all the wizard did from behind the curtain, once the religious veneer was wiped off of him, all he did was just tell them what they already had. And um, I, I think uh, forgiveness may be both just an insecurity in us, but it may also be a psychological tool we do to kind of justify staying away from, from other people. So how we deal with it, uh, you know, freely, freely you receive it. We were freely give it. We're conduits of it. And I think uh, there's no better feeling uh, th than to feel forgiven and, and to know that you're forgiven. And uh, I think when we're young in the spirit, sometimes we, we think there's a point in time when, okay, God's forgiven me now. No, 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 no. He's always forgiven us. He was never angry at us. All right. He's angry at the things that, that impoverish us, but he's not angry at us. And uh, to know and, and see that the whole thing with where unforgiveness flourishes, God's image diminishes, you know, and, and that's what we need to remember. One of the big, biggest impediments to believing in a good God is, th is believing that he's capable of unforgiveness, hmm. you know. Uh, so I've said enough. But anyway, that's just with the shoot from the hip thing we were talking about. Yeah, man, that's a, 
that's kind of scary where this could be going because to say, <laughs> think of a think of a child not having that concept we've seen kids play in the playground they they fight over a toy and somehow one kid just automatically forgives me here come play and it's like nothing happened adults definitely don't play like that bill tell me about your world and lens and yeah i mean i i well i grew up in the southern baptist kind of church and experience and in my younger years and and i've grown up inside of the christian culture you know the 80s and 90s mostly at least that i can remember and and um you know, forgiveness for me, at least on the onset, was very, you know, uh, very much an accounting mechanism, right? It was, it was how many, you know, debts have you, have you sowed versus how many debts can you pay, but you really can't ever pay them. So this other guy comes in and pays them. And it's just this ledger sheet, you know, with, with God in a certain, you know, certain sense. And that, you know, I think that is the, the religious dynamic. That's the, um, the, the, the mouse wheel, so to speak, of religion that you get on. And, you know, there's, you're always striving to make sure that wheel's cranking, to make sure that, I don't know, something's churning behind the scenes to keep the forgiveness, uh, you know, mechanisms. I saw, I saw a cartoon last week. Right? I had one hamster on the wheel, or two hamsters rather, and that's called a house church. And then I had a medium church, always the same, same tank, just filled with more and more, more mice. hamsters. And then mega church is like a crammed. <laughs> They're all on the same wheel, exactly. So, I mean, to some degrees, that was that was my indoctrinated sense. That said, I grew up in a, a wonderful household with a mother and father who I think had a deeper sense of God's love, whether they recognized it or not. They raised us with that as in, a, in, our, in our family dynamic, right? And I never had that from my father. My father didn't have a ledger sheet. My mother didn't have a ledger sheet, you know, and so I experienced unconditional love and unconditional uh, uh, acceptance and inclusion from my family dynamic. That's and, rare, uh, by the way. It is, it is. And, and so I, I, you know, despite hearing one thing, my experience was something different. And as I grew in my own life, with my own wife, my own family, my own kids, and, and have kind of re-evaluated my understanding of faith, um, I obviously see things much more differently, much much more like what Richard says in so many ways. I think from my Christianity perspective, and I, I still love the story of Jesus and Scripture, and and what I see it is it's it's the it's the collective human journey. It this isn't a story about God. This is a story about humans. And the human journey and the divine entanglement of, of us discovering and progressively moving from misunderstandings, innocence, right? When we're first born, that thing you were just talking about, uh, Mike, where we do forgive just, just so effortlessly. And then something happens and we, we get ego and we get these things. And, they, they, and, and while the, the scriptures are extremely broad and they're expansive of time, they're also very allegorical in the individual journey, in our collective journeys of families, of small groups, of large groups, of history as a totality, right? And it's so, so intriguing to watch this journey and realize that the answer is always the same. You know, we go back to that whole tree of life, tree of knowledge of good and evil, or the, the mercy seat, right? And the Ark of the Covenant and pouring the blood on it. And it's forget, it's atoning that God's position through this. And it's kind of the story of the chairs with Brad that, that he's done, right? His position's 
always the same. It's our position that is changing our perspective through our, our experiences. And some of us are in different places and age doesn't seem to really play a factor. It's just, so forgiveness for me now is something far different than when it was with that, with that, okay, I've sinned. I have a, a you know, an unpayable debt, but Jesus has the ability to pay the debt. He goes to God and he pays the debt for my sins. And it, that's no longer the, the, the mechanism that, that whole, you know, tribal scapegoating mimetic kind of thing that you and all of us at least know, and that may be hard for somebody else to understand, but that whole kind of cycle of humanity where I cast my angers and my, my transgressions on one and they scapegoat and that, that absolves me of my pain and my angst and all those kind of things. I can get out of that system. Why? Well, because of Jesus and the story of his release, right? My ego no longer, and now I can focus Jesus, you know, to kind of dovetail onto what uh, Richard said right at the end and kind of wrap up is Jesus is, gave us a new commandment. I think that's one of those things that's so overlooked. He said, a new commandment I give unto you, love one another as I have loved you. Well, he gave us the ultimate act of forgiveness, right? He, he didn't even go back to the greatest commandment which was a question. He said, I give a new commandment, love one another. He didn't even say love God. He just said this, this interaction here and the, the, the releasing of that, you know, those barriers and connecting in those deeper ways is really what's going to save the cosmos ultimately. Wow. That's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, go ahead. Yeah. No, no. I was just <clears throat> going to say that, uh, I'm driving a rental car right now, and uh, I've never driven a newer a newer vehicle. It's been a lot of years since I've driven a brand new one that has the steering thing that kind of steers. Still steering the, wheel. Steering wheel, yeah. So, auto right? lane, the auto lane correction. <laughs> but it's it's this instrument. My hands are on it, and you can just feel the nudging. You know, it'll have to keep you in the center of the lane. But then if you take your hands off, it says, "Ah, hands on the wheel." You know, put your hands on the wheel. So I, I just thought that, man, what a great metaphor that is for the, for the Lord's guidance. You know, mm-hmm. we're, you know, we're acting this way. We want to go down this lane, but then you just feel a nudging. It's not going to force you. And you can't just lay back and let it, let him drive. you got to put your hands on the wheel. So Jesus take the wheel is not a thing? Yeah, well, it's, it's complicated. <laughs> wrong wheel, Jesus. Wrong wheel. <laughs> no, no, not that wheel. <laughs> but, but I'm enjoying this. I, I'm trying to see how defiant I can be, you know, and, and just, uh, but just for fun. <laughs> but but anyway, you know, I, I, I was thinking about how how a lot of this comes. There's something in us. This sense of unforgiveness causes us to project that onto God. Don't you all think? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You know, we feel unworthy. We feel like, you know, well, where uh, it come so, from? So we, so we project it onto God so that our view of God is as God as, as unforgiving. You know, I, I'll go back every now and then and read some of these passages where Moses intercedes for the people and prays that the Lord not smite them and not destroy them. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. If uh, Wait a minute. God is infinitely more merciful than Moses. He knows infinitely more than Moses. Who is Moses to think he is saving people with his forgiveness? You know, that's what who, he believed. That's what he are, believed. Yeah. And who are we to ask God to forgive? He's ahead of us. The biggest compliment we could pay, pay God is that he is always ahead of us. You know, he rejoices when we come close to catching up. And the closer we come to catching up, you know, he, he's pride, pride, you know, pride, pride 
uh, proud of us and, and happy for us, but, but we'll never catch up, you know, and may, maybe we will in eternity. But, but I mean, just, just this whole idea, we've got our lenses on. I, like I have these glasses on backwards, you know, and we're seeing things like, like I need to do something to placate God. Bill, Bill described it wonderfully then. It's like a transactional thing. I owe God something in order to obtain forgiveness. That's just another form of works righteousness. I've got to do something to be forgiven. No, all you got to do is recognize it, believe it, and project that onto God. Project jubilee onto God. But you can't do it if you don't know about it or ever heard of it or had no concept of that lens. That's right. Which is why the John statement, the first thing we're supposed to do in the wake of receiving the Holy Spirit is have that lens. That's the lens that the Holy Spirit gives us is of complete forgiveness. And, you know, the, the Luke 4, you know, the Luke 418 passage, the spirit, this is, this is Jesus's. He unrolled the scroll when he comes back from defeating Satan. He comes back in the desert. He comes back. This is the first thing he says. He opens the scroll of Isaiah. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those that are oppressed, to proclaim the jubilee year of the Lord's favor. That is, that is his message. He is, that is the good news of the gospel that you don't have to do earn my forgiveness. I was never mad at you. And whatever made you think I was mad at you and wanted to smite you and destroy you is a projection that comes from carnal men, from, from demonic, you know, uh, infestation, some combination of the two. It does not come. It does not come from Jesus. It does not come from the spirit and it does not come from the father. And when we see how the, that Trinity is so happy and, and, and so um, offense-free and wow. how they're just operating at such altitudes of recognitions and such altitudes of energies, just saying, come up. I want you children to come up. But what weighs you down is this sense of unforgiveness that, that you're struggling with, and, and that is the fig leaf you're hiding behind, which is literally the fig leaf of the garden. You know, they, they were scared that God was angry with them, so they covered, they were ashamed of their nakedness. This whole thing about forgiveness is that you're not ashamed of your nakedness anymore. You know, you're not. Hey! Hiding. <laughs> <laughs> allegory, allegory, <laughs> allegory alert. That's a vest, all right? It's not not that risque. Isn't it, <laughs> isn't it interesting that that allegory, so to speak, began in Genesis? So whoever, uh, go ahead, it Bill. It is so true. That, well, it's so true. The Genesis story, all it, it's the Bible's written in just such a way, and this is probably we could go on a whole different thread, but where it really starts with the, the entire story in the first story. Right. And then it, yes. and then, and then it starts to like kind of get narrower and narrower and narrower and narrower until we get to Jesus. Right. But it starts with the smallest story containing the biggest revelations all in one thing. And that's just the beautiful thing about, about Genesis, that garden story. And Andre does such an amazing job. If you've never watched any of Andre Robbie's stuff about unpacking so much of the, the human evolution of emotion and will and consciousness and, and awareness. And that's what the story is about. It's about every human going through this decision of, of innocence and life at the tree of life and, and understanding this dynamic between morality you know, what, what we perceive as good and evil, and then tying it to mortality, the inevitability that we aren't destined to exist forever in this 
limited earth, right? And, and, and we latch those two things together and that's what spawns this concept, this serpentine thought, this fork tongue lie that we are not already divine image bearers, that we mm. have to do something or know something more to be like God. And so then, we're, we're going to get the, that. And then, and then this, you know, snowball starts to spiral and then we go out of control as a humanity. Point to a story in the garden story of how mm-hmm. that unplay, unfolds. I hope you're catching what I'm going for here. Uh, you mean just Genesis 3? Where Adam and Eve mm-hmm. sin, and then they hide and cover themselves. Finish, wrap that up and bring in the, the grace of false identity versus how God perceives us. You can do it because I'm okay, fine. <laughs> Sorry, I thought you knew. You know or, okay. I think I am, but I, I want you to do it. You got okay, it. so uh, we're talking about uh, where we where do we get this um, sense of dirtiness, ego, needing forgiveness, shame. Um, where does it come from? Because even in the narrative in Genesis of Adam and Eve being created, they didn't do anything wrong. The only story of wrong per se is when they ate from the tree they weren't supposed to eat. And when they did, their eyes were open. Something happened is what the narrative tells us, which then their reaction was, I am now dirty, shameful, naked. And they found a way to try and cover themselves up. And yet God comes the next day, just enjoying the day. Hey guys, where are you? Where are you hiding? We're hiding over here. Why are you hiding? So the lesson that I learned from that, that part of the narrative, which we forget because we think God's pissed off at them. Hence they got booted out of the garden with a vengeance. That's the story of the narrative we hear. So God screwed up. Okay. Plan A didn't work. Now we got to move over to plan B. That's how I understood the narrative. And yet Adam and Eve, if they were to continue eating from that fruit, would stay in a darkened mind of believing God's anger with them, shameful. God's mind never changed. It was man's mind that changed. He was always one way love towards them. It's like, where are you getting this from? They turned away. Exactly. They They did. And so I'm, because I'm trying to piece, where is the source of, of this? And it's written right into the first story in scripture. Well, and you know, there, there's sort of a, a dual thing going on here where they hide from him, mm-hmm. but then when they do confront him, they blame him. All right. Because <laughs> this woman know, you gave me. Yeah, and you the put woman, the tree here. Yep. Yeah. And then and then Eve says, It was a serpent, the serpent deceived me. And and then you know, Adam says, Well, it, it was the woman you gave me. All right. So but but it's like that that that's projected onto God, just like we're saying. They projected onto God a God who is a fault finder, a God who gives them, you know, James says every good gift is from above, from the father of lights in whom there is no shadow. And yet we think God gives us all sorts of bad gifts, all sorts of things that cause us to stumble. Curses, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's unbelievable. It is, it is a frame job. The Old Testament, if, you, if we don't recognize that we can see the frame job at work in these Old Testament saints, as much as they did poke through and poke through holes and see the light of God in so many ways and understanding that they were pre-Pentecost believers and that they were pre, pre-cross believers. That's right. right. They did the best they could. You know, even, even Calvin, who I rarely quote in a positive way, said that, that they were like children, you know, uh, tutors in need of the spirit. All right. Uh, and, and the law was their tutor. And we look back at that tutor and say, man, ooh, that's kind of rough. 
you know, that's not, the, uh, but it wasn't for us. All right. We have the spirit. The spirit has been shed abroad in our hearts by the, by the Holy Ghost. The love of God has been. So we have that. I remember have, my grade two teacher. She was nasty. Hey, 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 uh, yeah, mine too. She she pulled my ear. <laughs> I See how big they <laughs> <laughs> But but anyway, I mean, it's just this whole thing. You know, uh, Tozer was so big on this. You know, Tozer said, "We'll never grow. We'll always grow to resemble our image of God." Wow. So yeah. so we have an image of God that lets us be unforgiving That's towards right. others. And 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 just keeps keeps it on the on the on the what is it the wheel you know, you, the gerbil wheel you know, we're talking about it. you know and we just my grandmother it was the sweetest lady and, and the most loving lady I've ever known in my life she was absolutely in your corner and she never left your corner but she had some issues when she was young and I think she always struggled with guilt and shame over them involving not raising my my mom um, and um, and her and her sister. And my grandmother, whenever you did anything nice for her, immediately would turn around and gave you a gift. It's like she, she couldn't enjoy free love that you wanted to give her because she thought there needed to be a transaction involved. Wow. You know, I've got to do this for you. And I just, I felt part of it was that she was generous. So it's not, you know, I'm not saying it's 100% that, but I just felt she felt so inadequate sometimes that, that I just, it kept her from just stewing in a good way, just percolating, let, letting the love of God percolate and forgiveness through others to percolate around her. See, we don't even get into those topics. No. I mean, that, that's not even, that's gone. It's forgotten. You know, I, yeah. I enjoy being with, with you now here and, and just, just relating to each other. Yeah, I would say that all of us have been quagmired in the opposite understanding at some point in our journey. And, and I'm saying this, I think, is important because people watching especially are going to be like, Huh? What the Bible says, right? They're gonna what the Bible says. Plainly right? says. And and the challenge is what we're talking about here to you who may be asking is we're not condemning scripture, but scripture has this story that's advancing, right? Through it about forgiveness, about this very thing. And it we can't take what happens in the story of Moses and apply it to the equal same way that we do through the revelation of Jesus. And one perfect example of that is the advancement of the understanding of forgiveness, even inside the Jewish narrative, which is the Bible. The Bible is a Jewish narrative. You know, in Moses, you had the Passover, one lamb forgave, you know, one little family, right? Um, well, prior to that, we're, we'll rewind, excuse me. One lamb effectively saved one person, which was the ram with Abraham and Isaac, right? And then you fast forward, Moses, one lamb forgives a family. And then you have the Yom Kippur, you have the, the scapegoats. One goat saves an entire nation, forgives their sins. One year. Them. That's For good. One year, completely. Good. All people, all people get one goat. But then John the Baptist says, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Amen. Amen. Right? That's the revelation that we're talking about here is that the that Jesus shows us a picture of God more perfect and more clear than anything else in scripture. And everything behind that points to him. Moses didn't get it exactly right. Abraham didn't get it exactly right. You know, none didn't of them get did exactly right. Jesus is exactly right about God. He's the last word. And it gets, it gets back to the Jesus mood. You remember when we were talking about how the Lord's prayer was in the imperative mood? 
Mm-hmm. It's Jesus is the Lord's prayer is he isn't asking the Lord to forgive. He's no. commanding the forgiveness of the father because he already knows that they are forgiven. Remember the example about the boy that wakes up in the middle of the night because a stranger's at his window. And, you know, if you look at which which uh, mood, which is the, the sense of the verb you're using, he, he, he doesn't say, Dad, please come in here. I beg you, Dad, please come in here and help me. He says, Dad, help me. He orders it in the imperative because he knows his dad's character. He knows his, his dad ain't going to put up with any stranger at his window. All right. And, and to think that forgiveness is that way. Jesus, you know, I, I, I like to think of Abba with Jesus hefted up on his shoulders. And not, not as, I'm not thinking of the lamb, although I know there's that famous picture of the lamb on the shoulders. I'm talking about the way a dad holds the son up on his shoulders. And Jesus is there ordering. He's sitting on his dad's shoulders the whole time. Even when he's walking the earth, he's sitting on his dad's shoulders. And he's ordering things, you know, ordering devils away, and ordering cures and ordering mercies and all this, because he always stayed on his, on his Abba's shoulders. And, you know, to, to, and, and think about, you know, for a little boy to be up there, you know, the equivalent of a little boy. And I'm not saying Jesus was a little boy, but, I'm, you know, just that imagery has to make the, the young uh, child feel so secure, hefted up there. And uh, just, you know, seeing the things that his father sees right next to his head, right next to his thinking. I mean, it's a beautiful, you know, it's a beautiful image. And the father would never get mad at his son if he poops his diaper. <laughs> you know? Right? Like you've seen those pictures of the hero dad with the, Back really dirty yeah. after you killed your kid. I'm mad at the sun. Yeah. Might be a little upset the situation. So, Bill, <laughs> you brought up a verse that I've been scrambling to find. And I just got it. Yeah. And I want to read from three different translations because there's something profound in this. And I was talking with my small group this morning about that. I'm going to read from the Orthodox Jewish Bible first. This is from John one. Uh, so yeah, uh, John one verse twenty nine. On the next day, Yochanan sees Yeshua coming to him. And Yochanan, this is John, says, Hanai, the Sehaloim, or Elohim, the one carrying away the Avanot, Halalam Hazah, sins of the world. So there's a, a, a um, carrying away, carrying away. Okay, now Literally. I'm going yep. to switch to the First Nations translation, which is a newer one. Uh, the next day, the gift of goodwill, John, saw creator sets free, Jesus, walking towards him from a distance. Behold, he said to the ones gathered with him, there is the creator's lamb, the one who carries away and heals the bad hearts and broken ways of the world. Mm. It gets better. Here's the mere translation. <clears throat> the next day, John saw Jesus approaching him and declared, behold, the Lamb of God, this is the one who would lift the sin of the cosmos like an anchor from the seafloor for mankind to sail free. Wow. Now, here's the part that's more exciting. Th- that was all good news. But in Hebrew, the word to lift off is called Nassau. Nassau. He came to Nassau, lift up the world's sins to lift up NASA, our program in the States, you know, lift off. So there's, mm. there's a release. We talked about release at the very beginning of this. I can't believe this fit in so well. And even the projections that we have, John is correcting the image of what the purpose of Jesus came to do. And the, the more I read different translations, the more I'm seeing, Oh my goodness, this is like rich and not spoken of enough. 
Mm-hmm. You know, we're searching for forgiveness, but maybe it isn't forgiveness. We're really searching. It's, we're looking it's not for the type of forgiveness we've been taught. Yes. Right. Yes. Right. It is forgiveness. The projection. It is, it is releasing those false understandings of father. Bingo. And forgiveness. Those, it's, it's, it's releasing those and taking on the mind of Christ of what God looks like. And that's that, the, the, you know, the prodigal father, as we've said before, yeah. right? It's yeah. the father who's running toward the filth-covered son, not worried an ounce about um, his well, uncleanliness, but only worried about restoring him because he's alive. Well, you know, another way to say it would be that what we're looking for is to be delivered from unforgiveness. Yeah. All right. Because yeah. th- there's no unforgiveness from God. The unforgiveness is, is what we projected, yeah. is us what we projected onto God from our own unforgiveness and from our own feeling of, of self-condemnation. Yeah. And, and you, you know, when to, to know that unforgiveness itself is a deception. Um, now, listen, you know, uh, when, 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 when it says, you know, who, if you don't forgive, you know, then you're you not, not going to get forgiven. It, it, it's not saying that, that God hasn't already forgiven you. It's that you can't because you refuse, because you're projecting unforgiveness on others. You won't feel forgiven. You, you won't be able to experience it yourself. This whole thing is, is about heaven coming to earth. And in heaven, there's no unforgiveness. Yeah. So, so that when again, Jesus prays that again. Prayer, there's no what forgiveness where? There's no unforgiveness in heaven. So so we pray heaven's will come to earth, which oh is the will goodness. of unforgiveness. Which again, to me, it comes back again and again to jubilee, jubilee, jubilee. Since set, you know, since forgiven, you know, chains set free, slaves set free. Jesus is our jubilee. Here's and, another one. I just pulled it up because you know, said all manner of sin. Matthew twelve thirty one. All manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men. But the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit shall not be forgiven unto men. See, Holy Spirit's only about forgiveness. And anytime we restrain forgiveness, we blaspheme the name of the divine nature in us, in, you know, in one another, in, right. in Jesus, and in, in Father. So blasphemy is all about forgiveness, or in this case, unforgiveness. So does that mean we have no forgiveness then if, if we blaspheme? Because that's the first question people are thinking. Exactly. So no, no. no, it's the opposite. The second we think there's no unforgiveness, is we, you know, it's just, there's a little bit of a paradox here. Yeah, because there is no more available because it's already been given. It's all given right. once again. We're the only bearers of the ones who hold on to it right now, at least in this temporal, mortal you know, existence, we're the ones who are, are holding back uh, the manifestation of the sons of God, right? Which is the releasing of all of our, our um, inhibitions and, and thinking about ourselves, or our self-consciousness, and, and, and really that other-centered, Christ-like, but becoming one with that type of love. Well, and you know, uh, we were reading Ecclesiastes the other day, and um, it's like, you know, Ecclesiastes, Solomon talks about under the sun. He uses the term under the sun. Ecclesiastes a three. Of, a, a lot of those things under the sun sound kind of bad, mm-hmm. you know, sound kind of hopeless, kind of despair. That's your fear. That's your angst. That's mm-hmm. why Ecclesiastes is so valuable. It shows you the, the dread, the, the existential angst that men suffer with mm-hmm. and women suffer with and that we labor under 
And then at the end of the day, all you can do is, you know, work and eat what you earn. And that's the best that it gets. Well, that's under the sun. And Solomon didn't know how to quantify it. So I always like to change that. But when you're under the sun, S-O-N, <laughs> then you transcended above that and things change. It, under the sun, there is unforgiveness. There's appearances of unforgiveness. There's fear of unforgiveness. There's angst. There's dread. There's all sorts of corrupt thinking of distorted nightmare scarecrow gas from the Batman villain, you know, who's, who sprays gas and everything looks scary to you because, you know, friends trying to help you look like, you know, animals coming at you. Everything's distorted. You know, uh, wow. what is it? Chesterton said, I, I know I say this every week, but it's because I love it. It's that we're all seasick and we're all in the same boat, you know, but under the sun, when we moved out from under the sun of car carnal thinking of the wisdom that's from below, James said, which is natural, soulish, and demonic. But then we move over here under the sun and put on the mind of Christ. There's nothing but forgiveness. The whole thing flips around. That's like going from those two is, you know, we're wearing our glasses like this, telling everybody, well, you need to be forgiven. You need to be forgiven. I'm going to pray to God to forgive you. No, you're not. I'm going to share how God has already forgiven you. As hard as that is to believe that God has nothing but love for you, has nothing but but just con de devotion for you. And he's waiting to show himself mighty on your behalf as, you know, but, a, but what is the old saying? A clenched hand can't take anything new. So our, our whole ministry of people is to unclench, you know, the, 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 the dread that people labor under and thinking that, you know, being ashamed and clenched and, you know, that's even a boxing term, you know, you're trying to fight. But when we unclench our souls, we really we there's nothing to fear. It's like, it is like the Wizard of Oz, where we see everything that we want to be, everything that, that we want to become, we already are. We just have to perceive it and then mature in it and then stop trying to earn it and instead just trying to be it, you know? It's like the unpacking of how old are the scriptures? Like, I think 2,500, 3,000 years old is when the Psalms were written, right? So we're, yeah, so we're dealing with really old writings. Whenever the first Old Testament book was written, who cares which one it is? Um, so we've got, let's say, 3,000 years of this message being purported and ingrained and ingrained. That cement has set so hard that the chemical that unsets cement the love of Christ, it takes time to dissolve all of the pieces and all the layers over centuries and the mismessaging and to declare, behold, here comes the lamb of God. Like, what are you talking about? It's the first little splash of that chemical that undoes it. Amen. That's good. That's good. I love and that. every And every culture and every people yeah. has the same experience right that's the one thing we we are christians so we come from this kind of jewish kind of weird tan tangent right but it doesn't matter what culture or what religion every faith is is whether it was the volcano god or whether today it's some sort of other you know materialistic god we all project these same transactional accounts karma that's what karma is right karma is this transactional ethereal kind of concept of a god who is quid pro quo related whether that's source or anything else, that's not who God is. God is like Jesus. And that's why he saves the wow. cosmos. That's so awesome. That is so awesome. It's that the other gods are under the sun gods. That's right. You know? All of them. All yeah. And, and that's only Jesus, that's Jesus above, above the sun. <laughs> you know, and I think, uh, Mike, when you were saying about the, what was it, the Nassau 
you know, the lifting up. You know, Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to myself. But, you know, isn't it funny that we would project that he would carry away the sins so that instead of looking down, instead of being downcast, we see him with, the, with our sins attached to him. We see him ascend and we're drawn to him. And we're the word there him. is, the word is, I am lifted up. I will draw all human judgments. Yes. Oh, all wow. people, but it's all also judgments. It's one word, yes. human and judgment, both simultaneously. Shoot, that actually yeah. connects to what Richard was saying about the, I f- saw lightning fall from heaven. Right. You know, those things fall from heaven. That's the same concept, is it not? It is. It, it is. It's, it's, it's the things we've wrongly projected onto God. Satanic attributes, yeah. Yes, they, they, that's all satanic attributes. Those are falling down while God's being lifted up. Amen. Amen. Perfect. I, I just think this is such a big topic. I know 20, 25 years ago, not 20 years ago is pretty fair. 20 years ago, had if had I not known what I know now, uh, yesterday I had a really tough um, car breakdown. And uh, I thought it was just a brake issue. It turns out it was the differential and the all-wheel drive. So total cost is $3,000. So 20 years ago, I would have thought, Lord, where did I not tithe? What did I do wrong? Who did I not love? Who did I not forgive? This is coming back on me because your will is done and you're going to get your way no matter what. You're going to get your money too. And that mindset, it took a long time to unlearn that. And that's what this is too, yeah. right? Did you catch the connection there? It's an extreme misunderstanding of who God is. Extreme. And in, the, in the Western church, it really is still to this day. Yep. Yeah. All right. Anything to wrap up on this? We're 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 done this session. We're gonna uh, we'll we'll have to have another one because this this is fun. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, I mean, it just totally. You talk about good news. Uh, you know, the gospel, the evangelical gospel. Ooh, it's <laughs> it's not really good news. Somebody <laughs> just said. Nice. Somebody just said, if if uh, heaven's gonna be filled with evangelicals, I'm gonna take my chance in hell. <laughs> well. You know, one of the beautiful things about being, uh, I I love when Paul said, you know, it's a small thing for you to judge me. Uh, I don't even judge myself, but that doesn't mean I'm right. All right. There is one who judges me, but it's God. I've entrusted myself to his judgment, but to be delivered from the judgments of men. And it's tough. You know, I'm my occupation. I go in there and see, I'm asking juries to judge my guy, you know, to judge my guy this way. The prosecutors ask him to judge him another way. My whole thing. <laughs> I live around, the, I live around Moses. I, I, I've worked with Moses today, you know, and uh, I just sit there and I marvel at it, but uh, it's just so, so I understand that it's necessary under the sun, but it's not necessary under the son of God. Yeah. You know, so I, I just, um, I long, I long for that day. I, I see it and uh, I don't know. Uh, it's, it's like we can't contain the good news and we shouldn't be able to contain it because that causes us to spread it, you know, and, and just this idea of evangelism being the death threat, you know, we're using forgiveness. If you think about it, we're going around preaching, you need to be forgiven instead of going around and preaching, and declaring that you need to it. Not you, you need to know that unforgiveness is a myth, all right? That unforgiveness is a bondage. Wow. And uh, it's just, oh, guys. But it's it so up to us, though, isn't it? That's why that, that uh, it's pushed so hard, because there's something we can still do. And you're not forgiven until you make this transaction. That's right. I remember, um, you might know this from Bill, but uh, our old friend, Steve McVeigh, he was telling a story. He, he's often told 
preaching in a church and some of the stuff he was sharing, the pastor was like, wait a minute, this is wrong. He was not happy. So when he, when he pulled Steve into his office, he sat him down he started yelling at him and they said, I'm going to pray for you. And he started praying for Steve, Lord, judge him, judge him, Jesus. And then Steve jumps up. Yes, Lord, judge me, judge me with you, Jesus. <laughs> it's like, cause he, <laughs> Because he trusted the judgment of God. He, Steve saw God's judgment as the love and agape flow. And the other guy saw the judgment of God as an angry, uh, punishing torment. Yeah. Yeah. Vindictive. So this is all the unpacking. And this opens up a way to understand this topic of forgiveness and unforgiveness a whole lot better. Well, you know, there's a, there's a passage where that exact thing happens with David. And I'm not saying the passage is perfect. He's got some issues. That's the but, you know, with, with, with the numbering of Israel, when they give him choices about, all right, you got to take your medicine. And he, ha- he got to choose these three things. And, and uh, two of them were from men. And the third one was, would be perceived as from God. He said, well, keep me from the judgments of men. <laughs> you know, he chose God as his judge, which yeah. I think nothing can secure us more, I think, than truly understanding and seeking, seeking his guidance and seeking his understanding and the security that comes from being with him. You know, when we, when we deviate from that, then we do become Adam and Eve's in the garden trying to hide and cover ourselves with this work or this work or this transaction or this transaction, but just to be transaction free, you know, who was it? Uh, Maybe it was Martin Buber uh, said that the uh, man's biggest problem is we can't sit 15 minutes and be silent in a room. You know, we've got to be doing something. We've got to seek a transaction or we feel worthless. Or we, and, and, and I'm not advocating laziness, you know, because I understand that's under the sun too. But I mean, there's a great point there, you know, to just be in the moment, to be so in the moment that you're not even looking to the next thing, that you're completely, because God is with you and God is, is who you're interacting with and where your peace is coming from. Mm. Mm. Love this. We're, we're wrapping this up. We got to. Uh, There's more coming. So thank you, gentlemen, for this chat and look forward to the next conversations and the individual ones that you're preparing for, however you do it. So thanks, everyone, for watching. On to the next one. All righty. I hope you enjoyed that. That was good. I love the line, there's no unforgiveness in heaven. (laughs) Some of the stuff, if you just think it through a little bit, you you can hear the Holy Spirit has been nudging you and teaching you the whole time. Uh, I just love this content. Thank you, everyone that's chimed in and said, said hello, Marianne. Uh, good morning to you, or I think it's afternoon or evening by you. Mike Gordon this morning, Robinson, Michelle, uh, and Daryl in, in Saskatchewan. Yay, good morning. And Dan in Brighton, Michigan. Uh, it's so awesome. Very cool. All right, I got to run, um, but that was really good. Next week, we're going to have the final um, session or final uh, repeat episode, and it's a kind of a summary of how to journey through forgiveness, um, summarizing some of the key details from a previous conference that uh, I've taught many times. Um, yeah, it's, it's going to be really good. So anyway, that's all I got. I'll look forward to seeing you next uh, Wednesday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. See you then. 
Join me next time on Still Growing in Grace for more good news. Enjoy previous episodes by downloading our podcast at growingingrace.ca. You can also visit hopefellowshipycc.com to find our service times and location. If this show has been an encouragement to you, please consider making a donation today at growingingrace.ca and help us keep spreading this good news. Thank you again for tuning in to Still Growing in Grace.